True Multifamily is an On Air Brands production and a proud member of the On Air Brands Network. This is True Multifamily, the show where we dive in on what really happens after closing a multifamily property. We're going to expose the role of asset manager. That's a person who has a responsibility of seeing the vision, executing the plan, and managing people, budgets, and timelines, all to deliver returns for our investors. These are the real struggles, the real victories, and the real stories of asset management. Welcome back to another episode of True Multifamily. I am here with Anthony Pinto of Mission First Capital. Anthony, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Absolutely. Love to be here. Thanks for having me on, Justin. Yeah. Uh, well, you, I know, are overseas coming to us from Japan. Um, start off, tell us, what what are you doing out there in Japan right now? So I am a active duty submarine officer, uh, currently in a shore tour out here um, at the Yokosuka Naval Base, which is about a couple hours south of Tokyo. Um, so I'm, for all intents and purposes, I'm doing an admin job, desk job. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's cool. We get to deal with submarines that are um, at the pointy end of the spear when it comes to uh, global politics in the world, I'll just say that. Wow. Wow. Really very cool stuff, uh, cutting edge stuff. So um, that aside, t- tell me just how, because I see you posting like during the day, like are you working your job, but then you're also working through the night to interact with people on the East Coast? I mean, we're recording this here midday, my time on the East Coast. So how are you uh, juggling building an investment career in the U.S. while also working all the way in Japan? Uh, yeah, so that's a good question. Um, so I'm actually, when we're recording this, it's one in the morning here um, for me, and we're about 14 hours ahead of you. Uh, it, it's not easy, but luckily my job is shift work, so I work nights uh, mainly. So it just happens to be the same time as everyone back in the States. So um, you know, the main holdups that I find is trying to uh, contact people um, on the opposite schedule of me. So sometimes I go to days, sometimes I'm on nights and trying to sync up with people, have calls like this when it's the middle of the night. Uh, so that will be, that just will be very difficult when I go back to a day shift. But, um, you know, the, the majority of the portfolio that I built over the past year has been while I've been here in Japan. And it's really a testament to the partners and the team that I've uh, built out. And really the framework that I set up when I was back in the States to get to this point where um, you know, I was able to raise capital. I was able to, you know, start a podcast. I was able to, um, you know, partner up with people who, you know, were fellow veterans of mine and, um, you know, just do some awesome things while being over here. A lot of trust, a lot of, uh, team building and, uh, yeah, just figuring out really what I could and couldn't do from over here and just really making that a reality and focusing on the things I could do instead of, you know, make an excuse like, oh, you know, I'm on the other side of the world. How am I supposed to invest? Uh, yeah. And I, you know, really just made it happen, I guess, rather than just kind of set and on my excuses. I love that because it would have been very easy for you to say, well, I'm here for a few years. We'll start investing when I get home or maybe I'll look for something here in Japan. I don't know. Right. But, but no, you've actually grown your portfolio um, pretty large over the last few years. So let's talk about that. What is your portfolio now? And just take us through that process a little bit. Yeah, sure. So um, let's see, 2019 and 2019, I got here and here to Japan. So actually just about a year, over a year now. And um, before that, you know, I didn't really have uh, much success in in large multifamily. I had uh, eight units to my name, a couple of smaller multifamily, single family home. And I was 
finding that I was trying to do a lot of things on my own and it just really wasn't working out. Um, a key point was I had a, a 34 unit under contract in Kansas City that was purely in a contract with me and no one else. And I was um, way in over my head. I didn't realize it until close to the very end. So, you know, I didn't have the net worth. I didn't have capital raise. I wasn't even local to the area. I didn't have any no. boots on the ground partners. So, you know, that experience and luckily I only, you know, lost a few thousand dollars on that on my own money, thankfully. So not too costly of a mistake, but it just made me realize I need to find other partners to get in with. Um, and knowing that I was coming over here, I couldn't do a lot of the asset management. I couldn't necessarily go and do due diligence um, like I enjoyed doing. So um, when I, I started my podcast, The Lessons in Real Estate Show, um, about this time last year, and one of the people, first guys that I interviewed was uh, my current partner, business partner name, his name is uh, Phil Capron. And uh, we both know Phil and uh, local to Hampton Roads area. And uh, we'd known each other for about a year before we started working. And he brought me in on this deal. It's a 104 unit deal. Uh, it's called Marina Point. And uh, it was in Chesapeake, Virginia. And it's like, hey, you know, I'm looking for guys to help capital raise on this. Know you're local, know you're hungry. And so he brought me in on that, raised uh, uh, quite a bit of money for that. Um, out of the, we raised 2.2 million, I think, for that one. And I personally raised about 800,000 for my first large deal, Great. which was which was crazy to me. I never thought <laughs> when I, uh, you know, when I was first getting into this, I was going to be able to raise that amount of money. But that was all from over here. Um, so it was a lot of time and effort getting in and putting in, um, working to the pitch deck, calling investors. Gosh, I must have made probably upwards of 100 phone calls to individual investors. And, you know, really, it really fueled my desire to, to be into the, in this business, just the, the thrill of finding a deal and the thrill of talking with investors. You know, I learned some lessons along the way that uh, you can save a lot of time talking with investors by just doing a webinar that people mm -hmm. can just, you can watch and people can go watch later instead of having to do 50 individual webinars or 50 individual calls, just do one webinar, save a lot of time on both ends. Yeah, that's so, a great tip for anyone listening that that happens to be raising for a deal. We, we do the same model. You know, we do a webinar. We actually, we actually will do a webinar about, you know, once every few weeks, given, you know, our latest capital raise was our largest, but you know, as things change, as the numbers improve or the business plan gets tweaked, like, well, you can do one webinar and have a hundred people show up and then you have a recording that you can send out and send out and send out. So like you said, you're maximizing your time and you don't have to go have 100 one hour phone calls with people to find your, the money that you're trying to raise. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. I'm curious a little more about that deal. You know, you knew Phil from when you were, uh, had been stationed over there and you were back home in Hampton Roads area, Virginia, right? Mm -hmm. And so you guys connected there, you moved off to Japan, and then here you are getting involved in a deal that's in the next town over, right, from right. Uh, from where you used to live, which is great because you know the area, you know the people, you know the players. Um, aside from raising money, we all know that, um, you know, if you're on the general partnership, you can't just raise money to be part of the team. Um, how are you contributing? What value are you adding um, all the way in Japan and on alternate work schedules? How are you contributing to, to that property and that team? Yeah. So um, there's obviously some jobs on the general partnership that require you to be physically there at the property. So a lot of the asset management side, depending on how heavy of a lift it is, you physically have to be at the property, um, you know, dealing with the property management company, all that. Due diligence obviously is, is pretty um, physical as well. 
But there's some things that don't really necessarily require you to be present at the property. And those are things like investor relations, um, some form of asset management, more of like email based. So uh, finding contractors, um, contracting out different works, getting bids for different things, um, being in contact with the city, uh, talking about tax issues. Uh, I mean, there's a, a load of different things that can be done remotely through emailing, through just doing pure research through the internet. So in terms of asset management, I guess I'm, I'm helping on that front. So uh, helped find our security camera company and get those installed. I uh, did a lot of background uh, research on um, finding landscapers and uh, uh, some engineers that we had to do some structural stuff on. Um, just a lot more of the searching the internet and trying to find answers to things and emailing people back and forth, um, yeah. insurance type of stuff. I love that. I love that, you know, you found the way and, and that's something that I want a lot of our listeners to hear is that you don't have to physically be next to the property to add value to a team and, and to be part of, of a general partnership on a property like this. So really all those things that you listed and more there's, you know, depending on what you're good at, could be the analytics, could be that you're putting the financial packages together each month for the investors. You mentioned investor relations. There's so much that you can do um, to be part of a team and, and add value. So we just want to make sure that everyone knows if you are raising money for a deal, you obviously have to have, have a job and, and Anthony listed a lot of great ways that you can contribute to the team. So let's move on to, to the next, because I know the story you want to tell us today is, is not about that first deal, that first large multi. Um, is it the next one or, or did you have one in between? Uh, third one. Yeah. Third one. So, yeah. So I'll quickly okay, so, over so, the second one. Great. Yeah. So Marina Point, 104 units, closing that one in March. Um, the One of the general partners on that one brought me in on another deal in Savannah. That was a 112 unit deal down there, closing that one in September. And then in end of October, we closed on our most recent deal, Colonial Landings, which is a 92 unit in Hampton. And so, uh, you know, it's crazy to think that during COVID, while being overseas, I was, we were able to close on more than, actually more than 300 units um, within nice the, you know, the Southeast United States there. Uh, but yeah, so you want to get to the, the story of this property. So um, Colonial Landings is... Um, uh what's a what's a good way to say it it was a mess when we first found it it was okay. uh it was um run by the owner managed by the owner 92 units managed by one guy um it was originally listed by a residential real estate agent not actually like a commercial real estate broker like on the mls they listed this 92 <laughs> unit um which it worked, worked out in our favor because it's just the agent was unsophisticated the seller was unsophisticated we were able to get a really good price for the property uh, but the process was just frustrating dealing with someone who did, didn't really know how things were supposed to go. So it took us about 10 months of negotiating with on that one to finally close. Um, took us like eight months of negotiating just to get it under, con to get it under contract and a wow. couple of months to close. Um, so was that because that uh, the owner and the broker were sort of unsophisticated or because of a difference in price or opinion about the property? What, what was the hold up there? Um it was it was frustrating to just talk with the with the seller and the real estate agent because residential real estate how things go is is um, there are a lot of similarities but there are a lot of big key differences that if you're not in the know or you don't know hey this is how this is supposed to go it frustrates and, and extends the process so it was just a lot of going back and forth trying to negotiate the contract waiting weeks in between hearing back from them 
that type of process. Um, the seller not fully understanding, you know, the ter like general terms that we were trying to use. So that's really where the frustration came in. Um, so we finally got under contract in like September timeframe, I think. And, you know, Phil was doing a lot of due diligence going up and seeing the property and stuff. And one of the times that he went to go view the property, um, the police were there. There was like a lot of police there. And he was like, he walked up, he's like, Hey, you know, like what's going on. And, you know, he explained he was the incoming owner and they like had a heart to heart with them about this property. It's like, Hey, you know, like we got a call here. There's this, I don't remember exactly what it was. I don't think it was a shooting, but it was, it was some sort of domestic disturbance on the property. And turns out that like, this was like a regular occurrence on this property. And the Hampton police department was, has been trying for years to pretty much get the owner to get on board with clearing out this property. Um, and it turns out through talking with the police that we actually had gang elements like, like living in, in the property in one of the unit and one of the buildings really. And um, you know, they would hold, they would hold court there. They would have, you know, stashes of whatever there. And mm -hmm. the owner was just uncooperative um, to get those guys out of there. You know, it was just rent was coming in as long as people were paying, like, he was fine and he was very unattentive uh, to this property. And so we learned a lot just by talking to uh, the, the police department about what was going on there, like much worse than we thought initially it was going to be. And, and we knew there were some um, rough elements there to start with. And we knew we were going to have some issues trying to clear out uh, some tenants because there was a pretty high delinquency and pretty high economic vacancy on that property. And so we knew we were going to we we're going to have our, our work cut out for us on that, but we didn't realize the extent of it. And so once we closed on the property, we hit the ground running with clearing out uh, all the bad elements there. Um, and, okay, I want to I want to pause you real quick because before yeah. we get into the the action, I want to talk about up to closing. Sure. Um, you know, Phil happened to happened to show up there when uh, the police were there. You know, if he had missed it by an hour, perhaps, then uh, maybe the cops are not there anymore. Uh, how, what, what are you guys taking from that in terms of for the next property? Um, how are you trying to, to not have that surprise? Sure, sure. So I think this really this depends on the property and where it's located, because um, I don't think we would have had this problem with, with our property in Chesapeake. But um, one of the things we're doing now with this property is getting a Freedom of Information Act on all police records and um, police calls made at that property. Uh, so we're in the process of getting all those records. And so we can get a basis like, okay, you know, let's look at the rent roll. Let's look at the police reports and see, okay, which tenants have really been a problem? Which tenants are the ones that constantly have police presence there and see if that matches up with delinquencies or maybe there's some sort of other, you know, drug issues or anything like that. So, um, you know, if there's constantly a call for disturbances or constantly a call for drug use, well, that's kind of a reason to get rid of a tenant um, or yeah. at least get the police involved uh, with that tenant. So Freedom of Information Acts are huge. Um, it's something that a lot of people don't think really think about. Uh, it's it's free for, well, I don't say it's free. Outside of the processing costs for the city or the county, it's, it's freedom of information. So anyone can request to see bits of information uh, about the property itself. So, you know, we can get fire calls, we can get police records, uh, we can get, you know, records of police calls there, when, who, what, all of that. 
So that's the first piece of thing that we uh, that we're doing. But I think yeah, I, I want to so, add to that also. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but um, you know, for our latest acquisition as well, um, we just emailed the local PD and said, "Hey, we're going to buy this property." And we actually didn't even have to go through a Freedom of Information Act process. They just started emailing us, you know, an attachment of all the the call logs to that property, to all the addresses that we had and that we had sent them. So um, if they won't do that and you have to go through Freedom of Information, great. But I would say start with a phone call to the local PD. And, you know, chances are, you know, you said the the Hampton PD had been trying to, to get these guys to cooperate for a while. So a lot of times the cops know it's a problem property. And they are more than willing to share the information with you so that as a new owner, you can be prepared. And if you show them, hey, I've got a plan, we're going to clean this place up, then, then they want to work with you so that you, know, you, you can execute that plan. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think in addition to that, just talking with the city is just huge. Just talking with, because you know, it, if this property is uh, in a rough shape, most likely it's on the radar for the city in one way or another. And I've had that happen on, gosh, three or four different properties, including Colonial Landing and our second property in Savannah, same issue. The city was like, oh my gosh, like, thank God we're bringing in new management that can like work with us. And there was another property I was looking at in Kansas City as well, like the same, the same issues. The city had it on its radar. It was a rough property. The owners weren't cooperative. And so it just behooves you to just, you know, shoot an email or call someone at the city, you know, the Economic Development Council, someone in the mayor's office to just talk about the property. Because most likely than not, if if there's some issues going on with it, they're going to know it. They're going to know the city codes that are, you know, need to be fixed. They're going to know, you know, the problem areas or the problem tenants potentially uh, or, you know, any other issues going on within that area. Um, so, yeah. you know, not only talking to the, to the police department, but also talking to the city is huge really as well. Great tip. Great tip. Yeah. Okay. So you guys close on this property, you have the freedom of information. So, you know, uh, where the problem tenants are, you know, the types of calls you're getting, you know, the police are already all over this property. Uh, what the heck do you do about it? So pretty much just have 24 seven police presence is what it turned into. Um, so we had, uh, uh, just on-duty officers that were there pretty much throughout the day, like the daytime hours. Um, we set up a no trespassing, um, you know, policy on the property. Nobody was supposed to be on the property, uh, particularly after dark, unless they were tenants at the property. And the, the police officers had a list of all the tenants who were supposed to be there. So if people were there and they didn't match up on the list, like they got the boot out of, off the property. Um, in addition to that, just setting up better lighting within the area and just making it a more hostile environment for um, nefarious activities to be going on in, in yeah. the area. Um, so we want to make that, it bad for business, right? Yeah, as exactly. As possible. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So even something as simple as just parking a police car there, then you have to have someone in it. Just parking it there, just it, uh, it sends a message. And so that's what we were trying to do during the day. And then during the night, we even hired off-duty cops to again sit in uh sit in the cop car through i think a few hours throughout the night uh every every day for a few weeks just to get a police presence there during the night so that you know these these guys would think differently and and go after an easier target than what we were giving them with the property so uh it's a war of attrition and uh, i think it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be a little bit before we finally get rid of all the uh all the problem tenants within that property but, you know, combination of high delinquencies, combination of having a, a large police presence there, 
you know, updated lighting, updated security cameras, and just having more people on the property, more good people on the property is, uh, is definitely helping in our, and working in our favor. So Anthony, uh, we all know we're recording this here, December, 2020, there is an eviction moratorium has been extended again. You said you closed in September or October of 2020, right? So we're yep. full, in full swing of COVID. You cannot evict anybody. Um, so how are you getting these tenants out or are you getting these tenants out? Yeah. So, um, some of it is, is just purely crime related. So, um, you know, the police will get a tip about something which more off happens more often than you think. And so they just go and, you know, raid an apartment and they find contraband, they find drugs. And, you know, that's, that's a, a crime is a reason to evict a tenant still that has not gone away. Um, in I addition that. to that, I love that. I just want to underscore that for everybody right now, because that, that's exactly how we're getting rid of tenants that, that undesirable tenants at our properties is even whether they pay or not, that has no impact on crime, right? If they are committing crimes and the police are raiding their apartment and finding drugs or guns or whatever, um, then that's a violation and you can get, you can get judgment for that. So there's a good, there's a great tip Absolutely. for anybody listening right now. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead. Um, uh, yeah, no problem. Other ways are uh, keys uh, for cash. So it's like, hey, go up to tenants like, hey, you know, you're three, four, five thousand dollars delinquent, you know, whatever the amount is. Um, we know that you're obviously having an issue paying all this back. And, you know, the more that gets added up, the more they're less likely to pay it all back. So, you know, you're obviously in a huge financial situation here. Let's just say, hey, you know, we'll pay you 500 bucks uh, and we'll take the keys and you can go about your way, right? And you basically just forgive all that delinquency. Um, so that's another way we're going about doing it. And then uh, really outside of that, it's just trying to work with tenants and be like, hey, you know, this is a situation. And, um, you know, if you're not able to work with us on it, hey, we need to figure out some other way to, to uh, you know, either get you to move on or get you to, you caught up in rent. And um, more, more often than not, we've had a lot of those tenants that have decided just to move on, um, mainly because of the larger police presence, honestly, yep. more than anything else. Um, it's amazing but- what that will do combined with the lighting. I found mm-hmm. that um, if you have tenants, it doesn't matter what their balance is, but if they're if they're, they have built a business around the dark corners and, you know, landlords or owners that look the other way and suddenly you come in with heavy cop or police presence and you come in with really bright, bright lighting in the units, in the breezeways, on the street, uh, that makes it bad for business. And these guys exactly. want to get out of there. So exactly. kudos to you. So, so has, are, are you still monitoring the crime on a monthly basis? Has it started to go down? What sort of hiccups have you had? Yes. Yeah, so, so we have had a few hiccups. Um, let's see. I think a week after we closed, we had our first shooting on the property. Um, luckily, we had cameras that, that caught that. Um, and we're in the process of prosecuting those guys. Uh, we had another shooting a couple weeks ago, and it was an accidental discharge. And that one was kind of hard to figure out who was actually involved with that. Um, Overall, though, the, it, it is going down. Um, the crime on the property is going down. We're having, you know, tenants come up to us and be like, thank you for, you know, having a, a stronger arm with these guys and, uh, you know, getting out the bad, the bad elements there. Because, you know, people, there's good people and there's bad people. And the honest people who want to just just live in a clean, safe place are happy to just do that as long as the criminal elements are there, right? And it's these, these guys that, 
you know, find an easy target, like an apartment owner who isn't there all the time or isn't checking up and just lets these things happen, just makes it an easy target. So, um, so needless to say, I think that, you know, there's, you're trying to emphasize and keep in the good people and get rid of the bad people who are there that just make a bad name for the property and the neighborhood and, and all of that. So um, it's a work in progress and yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's coming along and I'm excited to see uh, it, you know, getting out the bad tenants and, and getting in new tenants and raising rents and, and all of that. Uh, we did have another hiccup actually uh, last week, I think on last Monday. So this would have been the 23rd, the 23rd of December. So a couple of days before Christmas, uh, had a fire start um, in one of our units, our upstairs units, and it took down the whole building, actually 12 units wow. worth of, of uh, yeah, of units uh, gone. Thankfully, it didn't take the whole rest of the building. It only took one half of uh, the 12 units. And so uh, basically what happened is we had a kitchen fire start and it was on the upper floor, took out the roof and uh, just smoke, you know, spewing out. And so to stop the fire, they had to start pouring buckets of water in through the roof. And that just ruined through water, mostly through water damage, ruined the rest of the 12 units around it and below it. So, um, you know, we had to scramble to get, uh, you know, emergency services for the tenants for them to live in, you know, help them get their stuff out. If anything was actually recoverable, um, you know, find places for them to stay. Uh, some tenants were like, hey, you know, I'll just move on. So we were able to provide them some sort of cash benefits there to have them, uh, you know, set them up somewhere else or help, uh, you know, get them new housing. Um, but, you know, overall, the, the situation could have been a lot worse. And thank God no one was hurt or injured mm-hmm. uh, or killed in the process. Um, but some good news on that is, you know, I think that a lot, I would say about half the tenants that were in there were undes- undesirable tenants. To start okay. With. So that was kind of lucky in that regard. Um, and we got a, we're going to get a pretty good insurance uh, claim on that one as well. So thank God we have insurance too, because that, uh, that would have been a very pricey renovation to have to do, especially with all the water damage in everywhere and wherever water goes. So, um, you know, insurance and the fact that no one was hurt really made it a, a ideal situation. But, you know, unfortunately, right before Christmas happens, you know, having a, uh, you know, find places for a lot of other tenants that, you know, now we're down 12 units as well. And well, thankfully that we have rent, um, past rent that can be included in the insurance claim and all of that. And, you know, at the end of it, you know, in a few months from now, when we renovate everything and get it back to normal, we'll have essentially brand new units again, 12 brand you're new come units. Out of, you're actually going to come out ahead probably. You yeah, know, it's, exactly. It's tough to get through. Now, did you have cash outlays? Like, did you have to dip into your reserves to, to put these people up for a few nights? Or you said you had cash, you know, that you gave them to to move on. Just talk about that, the, the specifics of that a little bit. Sure, sure. Yeah, so we did have reserves so, uh, that we had uh, when we closed on the property, which is, thank God we had that as well. I mean, we were going to have reserves anyway, but it was it was great to have that extra little little uh little push there to cover a lot of the upfront expenses and obviously the deductible that we're going to have to cover too. Um, but outside of that, we worked with American Red Cross and they in emergency services services uh, through the city, and they were able to help a lot with trying to find you know last minute housing for these people, um, you know food and you know toiletries and and things that they were just didn't have anymore because they're you know, their property was damaged. So, um, 
And the property management company definitely helped a lot with that as well, of trying to schedule all this out and figure out where everyone's going to go. And it was quite hectic. <laughs> I will say that it was quite hectic. But, you know, at the end, you just you just got to take it one, one issue at a time, you know, okay, the building's on fire. Let's put out the fire. Okay. The tenants don't have housing. Let's go find the tenants housing. Yep. Okay. Yep. We need to put in the insurance claim. Let's start talking with adjusters and you just, you just take it in stride and take it one, one action at a time instead of, uh, you know, getting overwhelmed with everything that is involved with having a fire and 12 units down and, you know, homeless tenants now, you know, Wow. Wow. Well, that's great. I love that, that tip of calling the Red Cross, calling the city and uh, just getting some support there. So really, really helpful. Uh, Anthony, this has been an excellent show. Tons of great information. Um, before we go, two more things. One is I'm going to give you a chance to promote um, the fun that you have going on and the podcast again. And then the last thing you're going to leave us with your true multifamily tip, which is advice that someone wants to get into apartment investing. They come to you as Anthony give me a piece of information about multifamily investing. What is that piece? What is that tip that you tell them? But first go ahead and let's promote yourself. Uh, give us, give us a little bit more about you. Sure. Uh, yeah, I'll start with the podcast. So uh, host of the lessons in real estate show, um, bring on military investors and multifamily to talk about their, their experiences. And, you know, I, I think the show is unique in that, you know, we're bringing an active duty and veteran specific investors who are, who are doing this as a side hustle or doing it full time after they've, you know, retired or got down the military. And, um, you know, I think a lot of guys, particularly in like my situation, active duty overseas on a deployment, just don't think that they have the time or the resources or whatever to get into multifamily investing. And, you know, I just wanted to show that through the podcast that, uh, you know, people are doing this over and over and over again. And, and myself as an example of that. So uh, that's the podcast, the lesson of the real estate show. And then uh, the funds, um, you know, we, we did a few, we did syndications in all of these past few properties. And as a military investor, I had a lot of other military investors reach out to me and want to invest. And through SEC regulations and stuff, where it's very limited in the number of non-accredited investors that we can bring in. And so it just seemed like a big disservice to a lot of my uh, military brothers and sisters. So what we did was uh, Phil and I created this fund called Mission First Capital, and it's a Reg A plus fund. Um, which means that we can have an unlimited amount of, of accredited, non-accredited investors and a much lower minimum that you're typically going to see with the, with syndication. So, you know, fifty thousand dollars, seventy-five, hundred thousand is a typical minimum for a lot of these deals, and we're much, much lower than that. So, if you're interested in checking it out, you know, it's not just for military and active duty, but it's built out for those for those uh, guys. But if you want to learn more about it, check out missionfirstcapital.co. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right. Check out Anthony's podcast. Check out Mission First Capital. All great stuff. All right. What is your true multifamily tip? My tip is if you're getting started in multifamily, figure out what you're good at and and lean on that. You know, um, there's a lot of resources and jobs that are uh, that need to be done on the GP side. And it's not just having to raise capital. It's not just how to do investor relations. I mean, something as simple as just being local to the property could be a huge advantage uh, to the team that you're working with. So never discredit the strengths that you have. And it can be as simple as you live five minutes away from the property. I love it. There's always, always a way you can add value. 100%. Really great. Anthony, thanks so much for coming on the show. We appreciate it, guys. Check out more. If you want Anthony's bio, links to his fund, website, podcast, all of that will be at our website, truemultifamily.show. And we will see you next time. Thanks again, Anthony. 
Thanks for listening to another episode. Check out our website at truemultifamily.show. And if you have an amazing story to tell, share it on our Facebook community, and you might just be the next guest on the show. We're also on all other social networks. Just search True Multifamily. I'm really, really proud to have the show produced by our company, On Air Brands. Check us out at onairbrands.com. We also have an incredible, unique podcasting event that we would love for you to be a part of. Check that out at podmax.co.